Hello and welcome to the Texas Competes Action Podcast, our third episode. I'm Jessica Shortall, your host, uh, as we go on this experiment of podcasting and conversations with, with leaders and thought leaders around Texas on the economic impacts of discriminatory legislation and beyond. And so today we are joined, uh, very excited, uh, joined by Dr. Brian Woods, who is the superintendent of the Northside Independent School District in San Antonio. Welcome, Dr. Woods. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, really excited to get to talk to you and would love if you could just talk about how this topic came onto your radar um, and what happened from there. Well, uh, I guess as we uh, even prior to the beginning of the of the 85th session, there was you know conversation around this topic. Uh, and I I uh, I distinctly remember thinking, you know, wow, how silly surely we won't spend a lot of legislative time and effort on something like this. But I, as you well know, and I'm sure your listeners know, that proved to be incorrect, significantly incorrect. Um, and so uh, I started speaking out uh, on the topic as it gained steam, uh, particularly in the Texas Senate, uh, because I, I thought that there were really so many more important issues to uh, to discuss. Um, we did have some questions locally from our patrons, from our parents about, you know, is this real? Is this a real uh, issue in our schools? Uh, but for the most part, my involvement was because of just the, the kind of ludicrous amount of time that I perceived we were spending on what in my mind is a non-issue at the expense of uh, much more significant um, issues in our state and certainly much more significant issues with regard to schools in our state. So tell me, um, you said you heard from some folks who had some concerns. What, what kinds of things did you hear and how much did you hear? You know, um, not a lot. Uh, there were questions from um Policymakers, questions from folks um, in the chamber, for instance, um, about is this real? Is this a real, you know, concern in our schools? How much time are school teachers and administrators spending on the issue of uh, transgender children and trying to accommodate them with regard to to bathrooms or locker rooms? Uh, and so we had to do some education of some folks that that while, yes, there are transgender children in our schools, that this is not an issue of significance, that it isn't taking um, an inordinate amount of time uh, and that we are finding, uh, at least locally here, we're finding ways to accommodate these children uh, as we would any other child who would be in need of accommodations. I, I think that's kind of a key point in my mind on the whole hysteria of bathroom use was, look, we're, we're going to, we accommodate all kinds of kids. Um, and this is a group of kids, a relatively small group, but a group of kids that we have tried to find ways to accommodate. Um, but, but not in a way that's unreasonable or inordinate amount of work on the part of school staff. So um, a lot of our education effort, I think, was around correcting some of the hysteria that got uh, drummed up by the supporters of this legislation. 
And of course, without getting into the details of, of any particular student, because that's a, you know, I've got two kids in school and I, I want their their uh, lives at school to be private as well in the way that they work with the administration at their school. But I wonder, one of the misconceptions that I've come across over and over again is this idea, uh, you hear it a lot in the kind of rhetoric, the idea that a, a kid, say a middle schooler or a high schooler, which is what folks seem to be much more concerned about, um, showing up one day and announcing that they are transgender and the you know educators and administrators standing helplessly by while this this person nefariously accesses restrooms and locker rooms and what have you it, uh, like I said without being specific about any kids with broad strokes is that how is that how that works you know I certainly in our uh, experience that's not uh, how that has worked uh, the the in in my experience the talking to our principals the what's really happened is that the child and the parent um, have come to the school and said look we've got this issue we need some help Um, and the school folks have worked to accommodate that child keeping in mind the privacy and the dignity of the other children and try to find the best solution that they can Um, and and unlike some of what i've heard in the rhetoric just like any other situation where you're trying to do the very best thing for for children, there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, kids' situations are different, um, and they that needs to be respected. Uh, and at least to this point, we have found a way to to do that to respect individual circumstances to without causing disruption to the to the rest of the kids in the school. Um, and in my mind, that's how this situation and any other. Uh, situation of kind of a special population ought to be handled. I think that's um, that, that that sort of explanation. I mean, that's what I've heard from experts and people who are actually educators. Sorry, listeners, if you can hear my dog barking in the background. Um, but uh, I told you that might happen. Um, but of course, it's a it's a much more even, cool headed response than the you know sort of easy things that we hear shouted at at rallies and things like that. So, you know, we're looking ahead, you know, feel like we dodged a bullet this year, certainly economically. Um, and when it comes to, you know, we heard from law enforcement and educators saying that that um, these kinds of bathroom regulations would be dangerous to children and, and cause problems for law enforcement. Um, looking ahead to 2019, we know that this is entirely possible that this will be an issue again. What, what role do, do schools have to and educators have to play in that that is appropriate for their their um, position as public, you know, taxpayer funded employees? Um, but when they're they're kind of your administration, your school system is being talked about. What is that role? Where, where, where's that line to, to be able to be part of the conversation? Well, I think I think the line comes in uh, educating the public and policymakers about what the situation really looks like on the ground. I think uh, you use the word misconception. I think there are tremendous uh, amount of misconceptions out there about this issue. Uh, some created very much on purpose. Uh, and, and so part of our role, I think, is to uh, is to educate. Uh, but a, another important role for school folks is to advocate for children, right? Uh, you know, our, our role obviously is to educate, but education is a really broad term uh, that goes beyond reading, writing, and, and, and mathematics and science. 
uh, part of our role is to advocate for children. And if we see policy being considered that uh, is not good for kids, then I think we have a responsibility to say that's not a good idea uh, and offer solutions in, in, in the contrary. So, um, so, so I think that's an important role. The, the other thing I'd say about that is that what you saw in the 2017 session and the 85th session was this really broad coalition of folks coming together to oppose this idea. You mentioned law enforcement, uh, educators, obviously, um, and significant members in the business community, and you may be getting to this later, um, all getting on the same page, which doesn't always happen in our state, uh, to express that this is a really, really bad idea. Uh, and it's hard for me to imagine that, that folks would not look at that kind of broad coalition uh, and say, well, maybe there is something to this. Well, <laughs> we'd like to think that. You're right. I mean, it, it, it was an issue that made for some fascinating cross-cutting bedfellows, um, all sort of standing up together for their own reasons. Um and yet we see the bathroom issue being placed as a non-binding issue on one of the party primaries uh, for 2018. So, so voters in, in one of the primaries will be asked to, in the GOP primary will be asked to weigh in on whether they think that bathrooms should be regulated um, in, in, in the manner of the bathroom bill. So um, unfortunately, it, it seems that there are other things at work that, that, that folks haven't gotten that cross-cutting message or all of those various actors you're describing are not who they're listening to. Um, but, uh, I, I wonder, you know, it's not your lane, but you mentioned the business community, um, whether in your world, you, you, you see an overlap with that economic competitiveness, given that, that schooling, of course, public education, especially is the, you know, kind of cornerstone first step on, on workforce and talent. Um, was that something that you, that you noted and paid attention to over the course of 2017? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it was, um, you know, frankly, it made it easier to take a, a strong stand uh, against the idea when folks who uh, nominally would be supporters of some of the people proposing this idea were coming out and saying, you know, I think you're ignoring the economic uh, aspects of this and, and pushing back. Um, and, you know, I, all of us, I think, find it easier to... to uh, to, to push back on an idea when there's lots of other folks saying the same thing. So I think it was really important that the business community was engaged in this topic uh, in 2017. And I would anticipate uh, with Texas competes and some of the chambers in our state and others, that if the issue comes back up in 2019, there'll be a similar response. Yeah, I would imagine. So I've, I've said multiple times, you can't put this toothpaste back in the tube. Um, and in fact, I think we've seen, it's interesting to me, each industry, each lane, whether it's law enforcement, education, um, business, I think folks started from a place of how this would be harmful for my industry or my, you know, sort of um, subject area, education, law enforcement, business. Um, but I, we saw major actors in each of those groups over the course of 2017 layer in not just commentary from the business community about economic impact or from law enforcement community about law enforcement um, challenges that this would create or from the education community about um, administrative challenges that this would create. I think we saw actors in each of those areas start to talk about the human impact, which was the common thread across all of those things. Talk about 
you know, we all got the chance this year to learn about transgender people's lives because they showed up often at risk to themselves to talk about them. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting evolution. And to me, that is the kind of proof point that this isn't going to go anywhere, because I think you don't have that moment of realizing this isn't just economic or or public safety or, or educational administration. This is people. I think I think that is a kind of major motivator for folks in each of those lanes to to make sure that this that, that they continue to be advocates on this issue. I think that's true. Yes. Um, well, you know, we're trying to keep these to kind of quick conversations so that people can listen on their commute and um, um, absorb the information. I wonder if there's anything else you feel like I haven't asked you or we haven't touched on on this topic that you think it would be important for, for folks in our community to hear from an educator like yourself. I don't, I don't know that I think of uh, significant issues other than I would encourage folks who are listening to this who don't have their own children in school um, for any longer or, or not yet uh, to to really if they feel like that they don't understand how this would impact schools to call a school district to call a principal and and say look I'm an interested community member I want to uh, advocate on this issue give me your perspective you know tell me tell me what you see um, I think school people, for the most part, will have uh, a similar response to what you've heard today, that it's about trying to accommodate children as best we can um, and preserve the dignity of all of the children. Uh, and, and I think that'll be a consistent message. I hope it will. Um, and that may give folks some uh, comfort when they're advocating on this issue. And it's such a Fascinating and great suggestion. I have to admit that until I had school-age children, before I had school-age children, it would never have occurred to me to pick up the phone and say something to to my local school uh, superintendent, principal. What I mean, it re- really, truly would never have crossed my mind. Um, and so, it's great advice for folks who don't have school-age children, whether you're pre-school age, post-school age, don't have kids, whatever it is. Um, I think that's. That's, it wouldn't have occurred to me that they would want to hear my voice as a community member. So thank you for that suggestion and would urge all of you to, to take five minutes today and pick up the phone and do that. Um, so thank you so much, Dr. Woods. I really appreciate your time um, and your Absolutely. insights uh, and your voice on this issue. It has been a strengthening factor, I think, for, for folks in each lane to know that there, there's such a widespread coalition coming together organically without anyone's doing that and directing it from the top, just just folks bubbling up from the grassroots um, and seeing each other at work on this. So we really appreciate you for that. Um, thank you for joining us and taking the time today. And we hope you all will share Absolutely. this podcast with friends. Um, we'll put some notes in the show notes as well, if I can figure out how to do that. Uh, and hope to uh, see you all back for episode four. Thanks so much.